Well, I don't know what, how to respond to that. I <laughs> well, the first service, I made it through. Second service, I brought in uh, the big leagues. So Nick's going to help me with this service, and we're going to kind of team it together. And uh, uh, he was available, so he got the call at 7 this morning. So uh, bear with us here as we go. I, I think this is such a crucial topic today that, uh, that I want to make sure we, we don't uh, complicate it. We keep it as simple as we can. And the, the name of it says basically being transformed. And a lot of times in your life, if you have seen people and you saw them come to faith and then you saw just a drastic change in their life, like what in the world happened? They are radically going one direction and the next they're going in another direction. And there's times you wonder, and I've heard a lot of people say, you know, I look at that and I, I hear these people that are kind of saying, okay, uh, I'm not even, maybe I'm not even saved. Uh, you know, I, I see all these people that have these reactions and I may not be saved. And I think that, that sometimes there's dark periods in your life that you do ask the question, that God wants you to know that he's just uh, proving your faith and to show you that. But most of the time I see people that do that because they become transformed. And the transforming is a drastic going one direction and then turning and going another direction. And uh, there's a verse in here that I wanna, I wanna read to you. And it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And it says for I, and starting with verse two, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband, that is to Christ, that I might present you as a pure virgin bride. But I am afraid lest as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your mind should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. We're gonna, we're gonna look at our minds and that Satan's uh, battleground is your mind. Uh, it says in Corinthians, uh, I said 2 Corinthians 10, yeah, verse 3 through 5, <clears throat> that though we live in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are divinely powerful. For the destruction of these fortresses, these lofty things that are raised up against God, and that all happens in your mind. And I'm going to use an illustration and then have Nick kind of pick up some things Years ago, I was watching a TV show, and uh, the TV show, I just stepped, I just kind of sat there, and I, I usually don't watch very much TV, but it was a movie, and I, I just landed on it, and it caught my interest, and there was a, uh, a, a man and his wife and two kids, and they seemed to have a good relationship, and everything seemed to be kind of like a Hallmark uh, relationship, and, uh, and then the next thing, you know, they go to bed, they wake up, and... Uh, the guy's gone. And the lady's, you know, looking around for a husband. She calls for her husband and doesn't see him. Goes outside, calls for her husband, doesn't see him. Well, she doesn't hear from him that all morning. And she's starting to wonder, what? This is not like him. What's he doing? So then, as the time goes on in the movie, uh, she has pretty much confided in the fact that he has ran away with another girl. And he had heard somebody said that they saw him in a, 
grocery store with another lady, and this was a, oh, about two weeks before, and she became so bitter at how he had left them. And, and so not only did she become bitter, she, she passed this bitterness down to her children of what a horrible man he was. He was a hypocrite, he was a fake, and, and he would run off and leave us. And pretty soon you saw the kids, at first they were resistant, but then they began to be more in, 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 involved with the bitterness. And I remember watching and saying, wow, what an interesting movie to show what happens when a person will not forgive, what happens when a person will not release an offense against them. And they, whoever did this did a great job of showing how uh, horrible we can be in our bitterness. And yes, it was a horrible thing. And so the movie goes on and you're seeing this bitterness and how it grows and affects other people. And then the last probably three minutes of the movie, she's uh, walking and she's walking outside and she's going to start to get, live life again and she looks and she hears this crack and she looks down, she moves the weeds off and there's a board there and she looks at it and there is broken boards there and it's an old abandoned well and she picks it off and her husband had fell in and died. So. The story wasn't that he ran off. The story was that he was a good husband. The story was he was a good father. But the point that we're making is what you and I believe, even if it's a lie, will affect your life just like it's true. What you and I believe, even if it's a lie, will affect your life just like it's true. So part of the importance for us is to recognize not just reality because I, I define reality as something that is true and real in the eyes of God our creator and so this woman's reality um, what was real was her husband had died her reality and what she was experiencing is that he was unfaithful and, and cheated and ran off and abandoned her so it's so important for us to recognize our desires to get our reality or our experience in line with the truth of what God says because simple knowledge uh, doesn't do enough. Uh, because so many of us have our, well, we all have our own grids and our own uh, backgrounds and histories to think through. And some things you know for sure and some things you don't. Other things you think you know for sure, but they're not true. Uh, this woman had no doubt in her mind that this is what her husband did. And I'm sure if you talk to me long enough or if I talk to you long enough, there's situations in our life that are just like that. That we have either believed about our circumstances, her husband's death, or we have believed about ourselves, or we have believed about our God. And so Dad and I are going to talk about, it's one thing to assess your circumstance like this woman, and it's certainly another to look at those circumstances and follow that string a little bit deeper and a little bit further to figure out what does this mean about me, what do I believe about myself, and then if you follow that even further, at the end of all of those thoughts and all those beliefs, you're going to come to what does this mean about God. And so to evaluate that and to at least try to bring that uh, up to the, to the conscious level, because most of this stuff takes place uh, in default, right? Most of this stuff, this is just how you've done it, and this is just what you've always done. And until you have a reason to change that up, um, you just go. And so God does a lot of things to shake that up. Sometimes it's uh, an earth-shattering circumstance. Uh, it's news about your son, it's news about your daughter, it's news about your job, those kind of things, and you have to stop and evaluate. But I think it, it would behoove us to begin to take every thought captive. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10 
says to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And so my desire for my life uh, to pass on to you, and I know Dad's desire is, what would it be like to all the things that come into our mind, all the things that spur and trigger our behavior, what would it be like to stop and evaluate those things to say, now wait a minute, is this actually in line with what God says about the situation, about himself, about me? A lot of times in, uh, and I think we all, we all do this, we hear news, and a lot of times I think everybody that I've ever met has done some renewing of their mind, which they become transformed in some of it. But it's sometimes a vague world system uh, renewing, and what that means is, you know, when the people found out that the earth was no longer flat, and they, they got the news, they used to believe it was flat, and now they believe it's round, and they actually changed their belief, and that became uh, evidence proved to them that. But it really wasn't so dynamic that it changed their life, that what they did, they maybe didn't go out on ships thinking they'd fall off, but it really didn't change anything they did. And I think in our, our religious culture, we can all sometimes uh, do a renewing that is kind of a vague renewing. We hear principles, and we, and we, we, we believe those, we transform them. But what we want to talk about is we want to get that right down into your heart, into your gut, into that which is affecting your life. So those behaviors and those thoughts and those, uh, those besetting sins that you just can't seem to get rid of, what are the belief systems behind that that we have to take captive? How do we take those captive and how do we walk through the process of actually renewing the mind rather than just hearing, well, you renew your mind out of it. You just, how do you actually do it? And then when you do it, how does it transform your entire being where people look at you and say, wow, that person is completely different now. One of the things that's important, is, as Dad said, is if we can start to realize behavior, your behavior is easy to see. You can, other people can see that. You can recognize that. And most of the time, how you're feeling, those are the two things that you can kind of name. I'm angry. I'm happy. Or I continue to talk too much. Or I continue to worry. Those things are easy to see. But what we're asking and what Scripture would put forth is instead of just trying to change your behavior, instead of just trying to do something different, Instead of just trying to say no to one thing or yes to something else, find out the reason behind it. And there, it is always a belief system in place. It is always a thought that is taking place subconsciously or consciously that is moving that behavior. And so if we can start there, then I can look at my behavior and say, man, I've always uh, disliked this part of my behavior. Uh, at that point, instead of just changing the behavior, now I can start to assess and evaluate what is it that I'm believing that would create a lasting change. I think of all throughout scripture, uh, one example that pops in my head is Romans 6 is about being dead to sin and alive to Christ. Paul continues to talk about this reality, not always my experience, but the reality that I am dead to sin and alive in Christ. And after he continues to discuss this, if we died with him in his death burial, then we've certainly been raised with him. At the end of that, he says, so consider yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ. Why? Because it's true. And so over and over, as especially Paul puts forth truths in the gospel, he continues to say, so consider it so. Because again, if you don't believe it so, it's still true, but it won't affect your life. If you are an individual who continues to struggle with uh, self, 
condemnation, uh, continues to struggle with thoughts of guilt, continues to struggle with uh, not feeling worthy or valuable. And, and we all can be here and we all have different reasons. And then if you hear a pastor or a friend or even you quote scripture that says there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If that is simply just a mantra that you try to talk yourself into, you recognize that it doesn't always have power that allows you to experience that truth. And we've all been there where we, we've heard this. We've heard that Jesus loves us. We've heard that we're forgiven. But what does it take to get down to the, the core of our heart to recognize this is more than just head knowledge? How, does it, how do we live this out? What is, is the missing ingredients to move it from here to here? And we've said this a lot of times, and I think I already shared this example with you, but I like it, so I'm going to share it again, so you guys have to put up with it. But uh, I go down and work out at the weight room. And when I go work at the weight room, I, I, I try to be there. Uh, Nick tr helps me get there more often, so it's good. But one day, I'll never forget, I was going to the weight room, and I walked in there, and, and I opened the door, and the smell of a bad locker room is just horrible. And so I smelled this locker room, and I thought, oh, my gosh, somebody didn't shower at all. So I, I go ahead, and I get dressed, and I go out there, and I walk over, and I say, what are you doing? And Nick goes, oh, you know, chest and buys today. So I, I get on the chest machine, and this guy, whoever, where he was, he must have been there because he reeked. And it just reeked. And I said, this is so bad, I don't think I can even lift right here. I'm going to go do a different machine. So I go over to do the lats, and it stinks over here. It followed me wherever I went. <laughs> so, of course, I, oh my goodness, I cannot believe it. And I'd, I'm thinking, oh, it's been me all the time. So, <clears throat> the solution to that is go in and put on four more t-shirts. And, of course, you know that's not the solution. But I think we in our Christian life, we hear all kinds of information and so what we do is we hear new truth, we put it on, and we think it's going to change our life. It cannot get rid of the stink of that lie. It can't get rid of that putrid lie that we believe unless we take off. So I would need to go in, shower, clean up, and put on a neat new T-shirt. Psalms 119, verse 29, it says, Put false ways far from me, and graciously teach me your law. And then in the New Testament, Ephesians 4, Paul says that you must take off the old and put on the new. And I think that's part of our issue is so many times, especially today, that we have uh, information all we need. And, and it's fabulous uh, to get information and how accessible it is. But so many times we receive information and so we simply just put on that truth or put on a new shirt over something that stinks. And when we do that, if I, if I don't do the work of figuring out what the lie is or what the smelly shirt is, if I don't do the work of, of actively and, and aggressively putting that off, standing against that, it can get very, very confusing. Because here's the problem. If, if you have always believed that uh, God really needs you, that, that you're, you're vital to his ministry, well, that part's true, right? Okay, so most of the time there's, there's kind of crossover here. Satan never just creates. He always takes something with a little bit of truth and he just perverts it enough. And so you think, okay, I'm vital to God's ministry. I've heard that before. I've got scriptures to back it up. 
Um, and, and it carries on so far that string goes to me and says, okay, so God needs me. And so, because God's need me, uh, a vital ministry would look like this, this, and this, and this. And maybe it's always being available to people. Maybe it's saying yes to every time that you're asked to uh, serve at the church or serve in the nursery or go help a friend. And so he needs you, and then you find out that people are going on a missions trip, and these people are going to go to hell if you don't go. And so pretty soon, you have got to say yes to all these things. And meanwhile, maybe the people who are closest to you, maybe your family and stuff, maybe they're the casualties of this. But God needs you. And so you start to recognize that because of this one belief that is twisted and mixed with some truth, it can greatly affect your life, and there's always domino effects. And so the important part there is not to just say, um, if, you, if I just take a truth that God wants to use me, and I haven't stopped and dealt with the lie or the stinky shirt that God needs me, the reality is God does want to use me, but he doesn't need me at all. He delights in it. But until I take off that lie that God doesn't really need me, now I'm starting to function based on what's true. Now I can hear his voice to know God, do you want to use me here, or do you want to use me there? And so many times we take a truth, and then we put that on. So Jesus loves me, but if that goes on top of a lifetime of believing that I'm worthless, now the danger is, if Bill walks around with four shirts and still has a stinky shirt, now it gets really confusing, because it's very, it, he could be thinking, well, wait a minute, I just, put the, I just put these good shirts on, there's something wrong with these shirts. And I think that happens a ton in the Christian life because it's almost more discouraging after you've memorized Scripture, after you've tried to recite that God loves me, God loves me, God loves me. Pretty soon, if that's not being experienced, it's easy for Satan to tempt you, wait a minute, maybe you just need to, maybe this isn't true. Because at that point you think, well, I've tried that. I've tried reading the Bible. I've tried memorizing Scripture. And I think the whole point is, if you don't take off, you got a little bit of poison mixed with some truth, and the whole thing gets frustrating and confusing. <clears throat> I'll try to make it through this illustration. I asked uh, somebody if I could use his life as an illustration, and he said, go ahead. And so I, I did. <clears throat> I'll try to hide the identities. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Uh, He's nervous. Yeah, this, this guy's life had slowly... Uh, he had a successful life and it had slowly began to deteriorate down to where he was almost becoming pitiful and not involved in life. I uh, would not engage in uh, a lot of activities, but hang around the house, no labor, no nothing, and continued to get to the point where uh, it just was miserable. And constantly, would, would, when I saw him, I said, how are you doing? Terrible, terrible. I feel like, and, and it became so tuned in to him, his own health that he, he could feel everything that was going on in his body. He could feel everything. And that basically began to drive him more and more to go to more doctors, to go get more vitamins, to go to the specialist, to go to the herb person. It was just consuming the person. So he was busy doing that, but not busy with life. And then what happened is because of the belief system that he had that we found out, his belief system was this. In order for me to be productive, in order for me to be used by God and to have significance and value and worth, I need to be healthy. And then he got to define what that meant. He didn't let God define that. He defined what healthy was. And so I need to feel like this in order to be 
useful. Well, that triggered, like Nick said, it triggered in and it followed into another vein over here, which was the fact is when he didn't sleep at night, he felt worse the next day. So now if that belief system is true, I have to be healthy according to his definition of health in order to be useful uh, to do anything, then I have got to get sleep. And if I don't get sleep, I won't feel healthy. Have you ever just tried to just get sleep? And just try? It doesn't work. So he'd wake up, I didn't sleep. So now the issue became, I didn't get sleep because I didn't get sleep, therefore I'm not healthy, therefore I'm worthless. And all kinds of people, including myself and doctors and people, were saying, you're really, you're healthy. You know, kept putting on the truth to him. But the problem is he never took off this lie. And until he was going to take off the lie, nothing was going to change. And the lie was this. God, you said in Psalm 16, you poured out for me my lot line, not only my financial lot line, but my health lot line. You get to be the determiner of my health every single day. And therefore, nothing can limit me from being your servant. Everything I need pertaining to life and godliness has been granted to me by Christ Jesus. Therefore, when I wake in the morning, I do not need to feel healthy according to my definition in order to be useful and valuable. You get to define my health. Therefore, I wake up in the morning, no matter how I feel, and I can do things to try to feel better, but I am not limited by that. I can go on and minister to people, your life and your love to people. Therefore, when that is taken off, he could then put on the scriptures that said it's true, that those things are true, because there's a lot of scriptures that talk about that with your spirit and your soul and not the body. Now he doesn't have to get sleep in order to be able to minister. He might say, oh, bad night of sleep last night, but he's still engaged in life. And as he began to do this and began to renew this, and he's in the process of doing it now, probably this last week, being a real stressful week for Nancy and I and our family, he ministered to me as greatly as anybody has. And I think it's because he began to take off and finally began to put on the truth after something had been taken off and now saw the fruits being acted out on. Uh, so number one, recognizing that all of your behavior comes from someplace deeper. It comes from something that you believe. Two, if we can start to identify that, now we've got to be searching for what the lie is. What are we, what are we believing that, that may not be true, even though it feels incredibly true, and maybe it has felt true for 30, 40, 50 years? Is it possible that it is not in line with God's reality? And then three, what is the truth that I need to put on? The only way that I'm going to understand or know the truth, the only way that I'm going to recognize a counterfeit is if I know what the real thing looks like. That's the importance of the Word of God. And that's the importance of being exposed to the truth. That's the importance of sitting under the truth. But there is no substitute for just getting in the Word and reading it. And I recognize so many of you say, it doesn't, I, I read it and I don't understand. Join the club. <laughs> you read it over and over and over. There's a thousand things that we don't understand in here. But I believe our job is to simply get in front of it, simply to show up. That can be, not a good reader, put it on audio. Have it read to you. There's just different ways to continue to be exposed to this, and it doesn't mean every time I'm going to open this up, this is going to be just an aha moment. It's a cumulative effect, and this thing is alive and active because it is expressive of the person of Jesus Christ in the heart of God. It, 
the thing that I, I want to stress as much as we can, and you've heard uh, from the pulpit how often we have talked to you about uh, being in the Word. Now, we're not saying get in the Word because God loves you more. We're not saying get in the Word because you're a better Christian. We're saying basically this scriptures, it says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. This Word is reflecting who Jesus is. There's something supernatural about this word. I can't explain it to you. I, I can only have experienced it. I can only say this, that I have said numerous things that are true, and until the word that I took out and read it, it did not have power. The first service I used an illustration of when I started counseling, I, uh, I had read and I'd studied, and we, sp we spent a whole semester talking about spiritual bondage, and that's like demonic bondage that will come after the saints. And I studied it, and I knew the scriptures and stuff like this, but I, I was not ready for what I was going to experience as I began to visit with people. And so in the middle of visiting with uh, this person, uh, this gal, it's, it's like her body split right down the middle and one side of her body was just calm and the other side was just wrathing, like angry. It was freaky as anything I've ever seen. And I started, didn't know what to do and I was kind of grabbing from my, my box, like, just trying to say stuff to it and nothing would happen. And then some scriptures came to mind that I had memorized and one said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And I have given you authority to tread upon the serpent and the scorpion and over all the power of the enemy but do not rejoice that every spirit is subject to you, but rejoice that your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. It also said in Psalm, uh, the later Psalms 145, it says that, be, that let the high praises and the sword in their hand overcome the evil one and carry out the sentence against these spirits. And the sword is the word of God. And so basically I just said some scriptures and this person literally went healed. It was the word of God came alive and powerful. I cannot tell you how many times I have seen the word of God change. When I'm in the midst of just distress, I, don't, I can't even think very good, and I, I bring to remembrance, and that's why I think memorizing the word is good, just the word of God, it brings healing to your body. I'm trying to tell you that this is living, and if there's anything that we can do to prod you to just look at it some, get in a little bit, let the word somehow penetrate. Like Nick said, let God be in charge of what it does to you. But if you can get in, if we could be a church that would be people that spend time in the word, we would become transformed and people would look and say, what do they do? What do they have up there? There's a transformation taking place in their lives. So recognizing the importance of taking off Again, your heart is meant to be filled and your mind is meant to be filled. So the principle all throughout Scripture in my experience in life is you can't just remove something because it's supposed to be occupied by something. And so if you uproot an idol, it has to be replaced by a God. If you take off a lie, something is going to come in there. And if you don't have truth to come in there, more lies are going to come. So listen to this in, in Romans 8. It says... For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So it's talking about experience, how we're living, and where our minds are set on. To set your mind on the flesh is death, but to set your mind on the Spirit is life and peace. 
And then a couple verses later it says, You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. So there is a reality that I am in the Spirit because of the grace of God, but I can live much of my life with my mind set on the things of the flesh. And even though it will not change my position before God and the fact that His Spirit is in me, I will not be experiencing His fullness. I will not be experiencing or walking in or living according to what's true. We're a little quick Disney thing. You've seen The Lion King before, most of you? All right, so there, there's a king, Mufasa, and there's his son, which who's the son of a king? Is a prince, right? Simba. So when a king dies, who's the new king? Simba, right? I got the names right, don't I? Okay. All right, but because of lie and because of deception... <clears throat> Simba believes he's responsible for the death of his father. And so in that guilt and in that shame, even though based on a lie, not true, he goes and he lives his life like a vagabond. He lives his life, uh, first of all, just solo. But then he even takes up this, looks a little bit better than being grieved and sad, Hakuna Matata, right? No worries, no responsibilities. So he's living and experiencing his life as a vagabond, separate from his kingdom, separate from his responsibilities even though he's never not been the king. But he's walked according to the flesh this whole time. It's as if the first gal, her husband, had cheated on her. She walks according to that. It's not true. And until he realizes what's true, until he realizes who he is, one, he doesn't experience the fullness of being the king, and two, the kingdom doesn't experience the joy of the rightful king. And so nothing in reality changed. But because he believed what was now true, it radically changed everything. And so as a Christian, there's things that I know about you that are true because of what God says. So our job is to continue to set our minds on that which is true. And I believe that's how it moves from here to here. When we take off the old and we continue to put that in front of us. And the last step is faith. Walk in it. Consider it. Act like it's true. Uh, since we're f finishing up with Proverbs, <clears throat> uh, there's a, Proverbs 22. Listen to these words and what all has been said. This is a wise man in Proverbs, Solomon, and he's going to give us kind of a conclusion. He says, incline your ear and hear the words of the wise. Apply your mind to my knowledge, for it will be pleasant if you keep them within you. Memorize them, that you may be ready, they may be ready on your lips so that you will... Trust may be in the Lord. I have taught you today, even you, have I not written to you all of these excellent things of counsel and knowledge to make you know the certainty of the words of truth that you may correctly answer to him who has sent you, that you may return them to words of truth. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move upon each of us not in a way of condemnation and shame and more rules, but that we would be wooed by you, that we'd be drawn to you so that we would love to hear from you, that you would uh, quiet us so that all the busyness and the distractions of this world would be just removed so that we would be able to hear clearly you and your word. Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to see those things that are lies, those things that are against what your word says, and that we will take him captive, that we'll present him before you and know that, Father, 
These are lies, now replace them with truth. And then, Father, fill each of us with your Holy Spirit. Empower us that we will be able to act on the truth that we have put on, that we would become transformed and prove to a world what the perfect will of God is. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.